Good morning. For those of you who are new, I won't embarrass you, but it's good to have you. I see some beautiful new faces. I see some beautiful old faces. And then I see faces in categories I don't know where to put you. So let's just put you in the good glory kingdom category. But my name is Chad, and I just want to welcome you. And I just hope that you have sensed that you... Um, that you are really loved, that, that we are, <clears throat> we're really serious about um, every person and every age bracket and socioeconomic class to have an encounter with the love of Jesus because when you encounter His love, everything changes. Amen. And when we see Him and seek Him and find Him, He, he transforms us from the inside out. Um. So I just want to welcome you and say that, that you are, there's no mistaking that you're here, that God has set you up. So watch out. This last, uh, we, uh, about 10 days, uh, uh, I've lost track of days, four kids. <laughs> it's my excuse my whole life. Come on, somebody. Four kids. Um. A couple weeks ago, I realized I just kind of hit a wall in my spirit. I, I, I have been charging hard after the Lord. I've been in ministry really since I was 16. I'm coming up on 35. You know, so feel sorry for me or anything, but just been running really hard after the Lord. And one revival, one church, one event, one thing to the next. And I just, my spirit was very full and healthy and whole as far as pressing into his presence. I have a place where I was like, man, I, I just need to hit pause I need to get away, get some perspective, and I'm going to trust that if I'll pause, the Lord will meet me in that pause. Just out by show of hands, who's ever been there in your life where, man, I just, I need a pause. I need a, <laughs> I need a time out. I just need to, how many know that the Lord in his wisdom gave us a built-in weekly pause called Sabbath? <laughs> Um, so this was really kind of a Sabbath week. It was, a, it was just a reset. It was a time just to be away. And I, I got the, the privilege of going to New York City. I've been in New York City multiple times. And every time I usually go, I usually would stay for about 10 days. So very, very familiar with the city. Been all over the boroughs and done mission trips. And I went there in college groups. And I led a group there for a mission trip one year. And so I wasn't going there for vacation. In fact, I took the subway twice, and that was from the airport to the place, to the place, to the airport home. That was it. And not that it would have been bad if I would have, like, explored, but how many know Manhattan ain't all that great in sub-zero temperatures? <laughs> I, you don't naturally wake up in the morning and go, let's go walk everywhere and freeze, um, unless you're weird. And we're going to have ministry time for weirdos after the service, and you can trust the Lord will help you. But I, I went to, this, I went to this, um, this church that I've really resonated with, and particularly this pastor that I've been, that I've been following for, for many years, listening to podcasts and watching on YouTube and following on and social media and just anything this guy in this church was putting out, I just, it just was life to my soul. Does anyone have just a resource or a so, source that you know that is available to you that just stokes your heart? whether it's a favorite teacher, preacher, or worship album, or, or podcast, that, that we live in just an unprecedented day, um, just of content and insight and, and encouragement. And so, so that's the context of this church, this church right in the heart of Manhattan, that central to this church's vision is to have morning, noon, and night prayer for the people of New York City, for the churches at large, to know that there are set aside times every day, hour-long blocks where anyone could come and experience God's presence. They could hear His Word being read and declared and then prayed. They could be in just an atmosphere of worship and praise. And So that's what this church and this pastor and this movement really is, is centered on and built upon. Does this sound a little bit familiar? It should sound a little familiar. We've got a long way to go, but but just you see why I really resonate with this, this movement in this church. And so, so my strategy, I knew no, no humans except for through podcasts. My strategy was to go and sit in their prayer room for three hours a day and just hope the Lord opened up doors that I could meet some people. 
You're going to do what, honey? Exactly. So do you have a, do you have a plan? Like, yeah, look at my calendar. It's all the way full. Three hours a day in prayer. And just, I'll be sharing more highlights about the trip, but the Lord just so um, opened up doors. I got to spend hours with that pastor, which maybe isn't a big deal to you, but like from like being a hero, I got to spend hours. He bought food for me and ice cream and told me stories and gave me advice and encouragement and, and uh, just got to be in the, the, the presence of God uh, for four or five days. And then, you know, Thursday night, we were out late eating tacos after an event where I got to lead worship. Crazy story, but it was fun. And just like clockwork, I look, you know, it just, it, I, this cold came on me and just boom, like click of a clock. And it was like, whoa. Uh, um, so that was crummy. But how many know God, the Holy Spirit, doesn't change even in our cold and our sickness? So, so I got home and into the restful environment of four other sick uh, kids with colds. And, <laughs> and I got to come home to my hero, my wife, who just ceaselessly loves the Lord and our family and me and just runs our house with such dignity and honor and love and and uh, yeah, you know, I've got my man cold, but she's taking care of four kids who got snot. And but how many know women will never understand the the the, the reality of a man cold? <laughs> Come on, somebody preach right now, <laughs> ladies, ladies, y'all don't even know. Come on, men. Am I the only one who's ever had a man cold? Thank you, Jake. Thank you, John. Thank you. <laughs> you would never know. You'll never know. So, child rearing. Okay, whatever. You can have that one. But we will bear the weight of the man cold. <sighs> I'm just going to wait till you guys settle down. Quit having fun. We're in church. Sheesh. But... I, I, I left, I really view the trip, I, I think the trip was really significant, but um, one of the highlights of the trip was I got to spend time with their whole prayer team, all of their leaders, everyone that serves in their various prayer ministries, they had a night, and you know, when they found out some weird goofball from California flew, knowing nobody, just to be in their prayer room all week, they were like, why'd you come? <laughs> So they're like, well, you, you know, well, you came all this way. Get in the middle of the room. And they began to like speak prophetic words and life and hope. And they prayed for me. And, uh, and I, I got to record for 22 minutes just total strangers just speaking life and praying for our church and praying for what God's about to do next. And it was so awesome. But I'm, I left New York City and I'm here today with just this... this um, the word that just continues to percolate in my spirit is the word invitation. Can you just say that with me? Invitation. That, that we serve a God who who is perpetually inviting, including, speaking, wooing, drawing, and every other ing word just trying to invite us in on what he is doing. Tapping us on the shoulder, hitting us upside the head when, we're, when it's needed. Thank you. Yeah, four or five people with thick noggins like me. But I began to think about, you know, like, but God's invitation is always disruptive. How many know seldom does His voice find us when we're empty-handed, doing nothing, with no agenda, no will, no punch-out list for the day, no quota to meet at work, no phone call to make, no calendar appointment, no 
grocery list to compile, no friend to check up on, very seldom does his invitation come to us in what we might call just static free space. Can I get an amen? Like, his invitation always comes in the midst of it all. Which is why many of the times we miss the invitation to life, to his love, to his word, to his voice, to his mercy, to his hope, to his help. That the, in, the invitation of God and to participate in his kingdom and the life that he's offered to us through Jesus in the spirit, that the invitation is always disruptive by nature. It always comes with a choice. I love this quote by, by Annie Dillard. She, she says, how you spend your days is how you'll spend your life. And how many just would say by looking at your life today that, that you don't want to spend one more day missing an invitation to live in God's kingdom and God's best for your life. Like, If he's inviting always, then I want to hear the invitation and respond. God's invitation to, to participate in his life is always disruptive. It interrupts what we're currently doing. Building our own kingdoms and living out of our own ideas and ideals and following our own ad- agendas. The, the invitation to the kingdom is always intrusive. It has a way to seep into the cracks of our hearts. Even when we thought we had pushed God to the margins, here comes his voice and he keeps inviting us. How many just have been disrupted by God when you were not at all interested in finding him? Anybody in the room that just, I, I was, dis- he, he disrupted me. Just leave me alone. It has a way to seep through even our callousness and our darkness and, and that invitation disrupts and it always challenges us at the core of, well, why are you doing that? What are you really hoping for there? What's driving your motivation? What's causing you to want that right now at the expense of your marriage or at the expense of your relationships? What is it? He comes and he disrupts, he agitates, but he's still inviting. The invitation of the kingdom has just a stinking way of challenging our idols. It hits us in the place of our affection and what we love and There's this parable that has just got me going just for years. But if you have a Bible in Luke chapter 14, it's a very familiar parable. I want to show you the disruptive nature of God's invitation. But he disrupts us because he wants us to live in the fullness of his kingdom. And because if we do not respond to his invitation to participate in his life, And in his kingdom, you and I can spend our whole lives building towards something that will not make it and will not last forever. Thus the invitation. And if you would, in verse 15, it's a wonderful parable about the great (laughs) invitation. Starting with verse 15. It says, when one of those at the table with Jesus heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will get to eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and he invited many guests. Everyone say great banquet and many guests. And at that time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. I want just to say that one of the overarching biblical themes of God's kingdom, what life looks like when God is on his throne and his presence and his power and his healing love are just free to move and they're touching hearts and lives and changing uh, economies and ecosystems and relationships between nations, the kingdom of God, one of the, the main motifs is that of a feast. 
that if, if what we experience in the kingdom of darkness is scarcity and lack and, and insufficiency and uh, power grabbing and grubby and, and, and selfishness, and if that's the kingdom of darkness, then a vision of the kingdom of God is one of a feast. Ab- come on, abundance, fullness, more than enough to go around. Not just bread and water, but aged and meats and fine wines. and That's in the Bible. Right? Isaiah 25, verse 6 through 9. And the, one, the, 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 one of the main biblical motifs for when the kingdom is experienced and advancing is, is that there's a feast being served. There, yeah, come on. There's an, someone's going to get excited about it. That there's an abundance. There's more than enough to go around. There's enough for you. There's enough for you. There's enough for you. And once you've had enough, there's enough for those out there who aren't in this room. And all of Jesus' ministry is focused on this one fact. That through His life, through His teachings, through the righteousness that He walked in and fulfilled, and through His acts and deeds of power and mercy and compassion and ultimately His death on a cross and the vindication of His death and His resurrection and the sending of His Spirit, all was so that we could experience the banquet feast of His kingdom here today. Life in His Spirit. Everything is now ready. Everyone say, everything is now ready. So there's this picture of a banquet master who's like, I have all this abundance, but I don't want it just to be for me. (laughs) He told a parable two chapters earlier of a rich guy who built bigger barns just for himself, and then he, you know, he lost his life and no one got his huge treasure. So that's in the back of Jesus' mind here. How many have known someone that has hoarded and built up just for themselves and they were one of the most miserable people to be around because they thought everything was about them and for them and to them? Jesus gives us a vision of a different kind of wealthy person here. A master of abundance who wants to share and include and invite. And so the servant goes out and says, the feast is ready. Life in God's kingdom. Forgiveness for your sins. Come on. Healing for your diseases. Reconciliation for your relationships. and Peace for your anxious soul. The banquet's ready. Everything you need, I'm the source and supply of it. Come. Respond to my invitation. Verse 18, but they all, someone say all. Who's the all? Those that were invited. They all began to make excuses. What I realized going to New York, I didn't have to go to New York. You understand that? I spend out, I, I can meet with Jesus anywhere. Come on, someone say amen. I'm not dumb. I know theology, I know the Bible. But there was an invitation in the Spirit, and I could have missed the meal if I didn't use the airline miles and my dad's hotel points. <sighs> and my wife willing to pay a price and sacrifice and the staff and the team to keep the ministry of the church going. Do you understand? But there was an invitation, but it was disruptive. There was a choice. God, it makes no sense. I don't have time. It's too hard for my wife. The church is, we need to grow and do stuff. And, but how many know that, that he will always make a way in the midst of the invitation? But these guys that were invited, they all began to make excuses. What I want you to catch in these three excuses is how how utterly reasonable they are. (sighs) Darn it. Watch them. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field. I must go and see it. Excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And the guy with the best excuse. Still another said, I just got married. 
so I can't come. I want you to see that when we think about being invited into God's kingdom, do not think just so you can have the whites of your eyes rolled back and you can have some spiritual experience in your closet. God wants to invite us into life in His kingdom and the everyday stuff of life. What do the oxen represent? The field, the marriage. Well, as a good preacher, I got three Ps. You're welcome. The field represents possessions. I got to take care of my stuff. And you can take that in, the, you know, in, in, in a righteous sense. And sure, God wants you to steward your stuff. Someone say, Amen, Pastor Chad. It's probably a good idea. You take care of your field and you mow it and you, you know, you put some nice, you know, vinyl fencing around it so it lasts 35 years in the next generation. And, you know, you probably assume a field probably has field workers, so you got to take care of your employees. Come on, am I talking to anybody today that there's nothing in and of itself wrong with this dude who owns a field? But it's an issue of prioritization. This man was invited to feast in God's kingdom, to put first things first. And instead of considering his possessions being the thing that could be negotiated, he negotiates the invitation and he misses it. Do you see that? How many of us, in the midst of our busyness and our possessions and our stuff, that we can miss the voice of God that says, in the midst of all of that, I'm calling you to experience my kingdom. I'm calling you to turn your heart to not ultimately love what you have, but love who's calling you and allow him to reorient, to, re to, to infuse your life with kingdom perspective and priority so that that stuff that you own doesn't end up owning you. Come on, how many have seen just someone in their obsession to accumulate end up being owned by the things that they thought would bring for fullness and happiness and joy. Am I talking to anyone today? Many of us. I just bought a field. I can't, I can't come to the banquet. It's not that convenient to say yes to you, Jesus, right now. I got a field. The next guy. I just bought five yoke of oxen. You don't have to read too many commentaries. That's, this guy's a business owner. Come on, how many have ever... How many have to go to work tomorrow at 9 a.m.? Come on. How many know work is a good thing? Say, shout me down or something. Say amen. amen. Work is not a part of the fall. Work was God's idea. God's a worker. He worked. He spoke. And that's why he instituted Sabbath, because he's a worker. He does stuff. He creates and he shapes and he infuses with purpose and meaning. And Work is not a part of the fall, contrary to what you may think about your boss. We were made to work. But how many know our work was never to be the end. It was a means to an end to glorify God in all, in all that we do. And how many of us have a perspective where it's the end or that job or that promotion or that thing and we're willing to do whatever it takes to get there. I was thinking a couple, couple years ago on one of my prayer runs and you know, I started thinking about, you know, when 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 we read through the Bible and we read all about the sacrifices and all the blood that was required, I'm like, man, what a bloody mess. <sighs> it was all the Lord working within their framework and their sort of, you know, ancient Near Eastern mindset. He met them and they were enslaved people and he just, he was so gracious to bring them along in his revelation and his truth and in ways they could understand and then bring them a little bit further into his heart and obviously until we, we see Jesus in the full definitive revelation of God's heart and purpose and kingdom. But I started thinking, man, what a mess. What a mess. And I was thinking, to, in the Old Testament, to, 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 to worship and partake of idolatry, it was messy. They would offer bulls and sacrifices. And, and even in the, the, the ancient Babylonian god, Molech, they would offer children and sacrifice them to the Lord. And, and I started thinking, man, idolatry used to be really a lot more messy than it is now. And then the Lord showed me. He said, Chad. 
It's as bloody now as it was then. Now it's just marriages that are being sacrificed on an altar in the name of a job or possessions or going after more, accumulation. And, and, and the Lord just begins, no, it's just, it's kids, it's relationships that are being sacrificed so that we can possess and consume and keep up with the Joneses, whoever they are. Anyone ever known or wanted to know who the Joneses were? And the Lord began to show, you, show me that it's actually not changed at all. And our desire to possess and to grow our net worth, that, that usually we're plenty willing to sacrifice things all along the way to get what we want. Am I talking to anyone today? And you say, I bought five yoke of oxen. I've got a business to run. I don't have time to say yes to your invitation to feast. Are you tracking? How, he's not like, hey, I'm busy. I'm, ha- I'm cheating. I'm cheating. Yes or no, is this a completely legitimate excuse to say no to an invitation? Say yes. It's because the answer is yes. <laughs> it's yeah. Totally. I got five yoke of oxen. How many have a dog? You don't even have five yoke of an oxen. A dog. You got to feed them. It's worse than a kid. Except for you can keep them in cages. So there you go. <laughs> Not the kids, the dogs, silly people I got a field I got stuff I got possessions I I'm busy Jesus I don't have time to say yes to the feast I got these yokes of oxen and this represents our profession and I just don't have time it's not convenient right now to say yes to your kingdom it's not convenient to feast I got stuff to do I don't have time to just waste around some table with some king and eat a mass. I just see a big massive turkey leg. You know what I mean? Like in the medieval times. <laughs> huge grapes. Uh. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. This is probably the most true of all the excuses. That was supposed to be funnier than two people laughing, but... This represents people, the third P. Possessions, profession, and people, or relationships. How many relationships, marriage or relationship, or empl- how many relationships do we put in that place of center and ultimate where God and God alone belongs? Oh, I promise you, most, many of us. Thanks for the invitation, but Lord... This relationship is more important. Just go keep reading in Luke 14. Jesus has some things to say about it. But how many know all three of these excuses are completely reasonable? How many say these excuses are not reasonable? Raise your hand. What's so great about this banquet? What's so great about this feast? What's so great about life in God's kingdom? What's so great about being a part of what God's doing in the earth? What's so great about joining Him? What, what's so great about it? How many know if you got a field, five yoke of oxen, and a decent marriage, you got a leg up on what most people experience? Things are probably pretty good. You see, the reality is, I believe, most of the time we miss the invitation is not necessarily because you and I are busy doing things that are bad in and of themselves. It's because we do not have a vision of God's glory and goodness that is more compelling than what we can do on our own. The thought of life in God, life in His kingdom, somehow being better than what I could do in my own strength, in my own positions and possessions, and through my own relationships, in my own capacity and ability, that we many times suffer from a low, insanely low view of what God has made available to us in his kingdom. So verse 21, the servant came back and reported this to his master. The owner of the house became angry and he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Now before you and I go spiritualizing that there's something 
that the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, uh, it's not all of that. How many know that God actually, poverty is not actually in his heart. It's not his idea. Shake your head at me. So, so when we read this, and it's easy to idealize the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Did Jesus minister to them? Heck yeah. Loved them. They were central to the ones who responded to his invitation, his kingdom. But I want to say there's, there's nothing intrinsically uh, kingdom value to, con- to be poor, to be crippled, to be blind, or to be lame. Is that clear? Many are like, well, crud, I have a bank account. I'm ter- am I not good? No, you're missing the point. The, the, the point is, is one of contrast. Are you tracking with me? It's, it, it's, this, it's this contrast the Lord's lifting up to people who are busy doing their own thing, good, upright, moral, they vote, they do nice stuff, and that the majority of us are so wrapped up in us and in our things, we miss the invitation, we make excuses because all of our, we just got stuff to do. And so Jesus is like, if you knuckleheads don't want to be a part of my great kingdom adventure to remake the world and rebuild ruined cities and to set the lonely in families and to heal the sick and to announce the gospel and to see him forgiven and set free, I'm going to find some people who will. Because he's an inviter. He's an amazing God. He's like, if you're too busy, I will go ask somebody else. And I read this parable and it It pierces me like a sword to think that if it's not me, he will have no problem eventually going to some alleyway, finding someone who's sitting there broken by their sin, but when they hear the good news of a Savior, they'll say yes to him and they'll get to be in the kingdom and not me. The point of the parable is my house is going to be full. Do you want to join it or not? The reason invitation to the kingdom is so stinking disruptive is because the Lord is the Lord. You're not. He's the king. You're not. And his invitation to participate and to live life submitted to him, full of joy and peace and righteousness in the Holy Spirit and meaning and purpose and just your, your sinful heart renovated from the inside out where you actually want God and what He wants and you want to do what He does and you want to speak the words He says. And, and the Lord, the Lord. And the bummer of this parable is He's angry when people say no to His invitation. So even though he'll find somebody else, it grieves his heart that we don't have a vision of his kingdom that is greater than us building all of our own little idols and kingdoms. And they're good things, good relationships, good fields, good oxen. And the Lord says, those good things pale in comparison to you prioritizing my thing. My heart, my mission, my desire, and my purpose. Go out quickly into the streets. Find the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Find ones who aren't preoccupied with their thing and bring them in. Sir, the servant said in verse 22, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Yes. Come on, someone say, there's still room. For every person in this room, there is room in His kingdom. There is room to participate in what He is about ready to unleash in and through our church, in this city, and in the nations. Like, He wants to include us at His feast. He wants us to live full of it, full from the feast full from the feast. We just live out of that place of being filled and full of Him. Come on, how many know with God there's always more? There's always more. But Lord, I'm full. I ate. Oh, don't worry. You'll be hungry again. And there'll be more when you're hungry. Sir, what you've been ordered, it's been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes. Compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited We'll get a taste of my banquet.
Go compel him. There's room at the master's table. There's room in his kingdom. There's enough to go around. There's a place. My, my grandma, Bohai, I still have all four sets of grandparents. Beautiful, amazing testimony. Um, but Grandma Carolyn, for every big family meal, all the places have little, you, you know, you, certain people sit in certain places. It's always pretty and, you know, just give me the food. And I want to say that there is a sandwiched white piece of paper, folded hot dog style, on a plate at the king's table with your name on it. Come and eat. The invitation is disruptive. You've got to let go of some of those things that are vying for all your time and all your treasure, all your affection, those things that are good in and of themselves, but you will miss my best if you settle for just what you can do. You will miss the adventure of a life, the feast that actually satisfies, the abundance that flows from me. You'll miss it if you'll continue to make excuses in delaying the inevitable, which is you and I surrendering to the king and his kingdom. Go out, tell them to come in. I want my house to be full. Come on, how many know he wants his house to be full? What are you preoccupied with right now? Just stop. Just get your smartphone or your journal. What is possessing your heart, your time, your energy? Quit looking at me. Look at your book or your smartphone. Just think. Just critically think. Critically in a good way. Just take inventory. What is driving my life right now? What is the vision that I get up thinking about? That I go to bed? What is it that drives me to work so hard to try to possess and go after? What relationships? Just take 10 seconds. 10, 10 15, 20 seconds. And how does God's invitation to come to his feast today and then in the morning and then at noon and then at night to turn your gaze, to turn your priorities, to turn your heart toward him, how is that disrupting you? How does that pierce through and what are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond to his invitation <laughs> and here's how the parable ends. Who can you invite and disrupt in a loving, compassionate, kind way <laughs> and invite to the feast? Who can you speak and say, come on, somebody. It's one thing to, to read a Yelp review in New York City of the best ramen in lower Manhattan. Come on, it's another to find someone on the street who eats there every day. Who can describe the texture of the hand-pulled noodles? The depth and the complexity of the pork bone broth. Come on, somebody, preach. God doesn't just want a bunch of robots come to the feast. Jesus is pretty good. He takes care of your sin. You can live how you want, and then someday you'll get to go somewhere far away. He's looking for people who are so satisfied just undone by the feast, by the invitation of God, that when we speak, it's like describing the ramen bowl and the noodles and the depth and the complexity because we're feasting on God. We've tasted and we've seen that He's good. And God wants a church in a city who is so just stuck on how good He is, how, how much He satisfies our cravings and our longings that when we go out and we compel them to come in, it's not like a a salesman trying to sell a car. It's like, you've got to taste how good he is. There's place for you at the table. And the bummer is you can't fake that thing. 
whether you've, you've, you've either tasted the bowl of ramen or you haven't. You may have read 50,000 Yelp reviews, but it's not the same as going to the shop waiting for an hour because it's famous and then sitting at the table and then shilling over the money and giving two-hour window to the best ramen you've ever had. I may or may not have done that, but anyway. And the vision and the picture of this When you and I are feasting at other tables, whether it be what we're trying to possess or our relationships or our profession and we're climbing ladders and crossing walls and sacrificing all sorts of things on the way to get me, 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 the Lord is saying, say yes to feast upon me. Let me satisfy you. I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. I'm the true vine that that through me flows this this wine that will fill your heart with joy and your life with purpose and your vision with, with something worth dying for. The Lord says, I'm looking for people who will get fat. But stay lean because they they live that breathe in, breathe out lifestyle. Come on, somebody. We feast and then we flow. Come on. We feast and then we go. That's the picture here. We feast and then we go. We feast and then we go. And as we're going, we're feasting on what we just feasted on. And we this in and out. Feast and go. Feast and flow. Come on. That'll preach right there. Compel them to come in. Compel them. to Come on. Someone say, compel them to come in. Listen, if you do not have a vision of his goodness and you need to encounter it this morning, there is an actual place in God of actually being satisfied by his mercy and goodness. And when you go out and try to include and invite others, it's not like some spiel that you memorize from salesman class. It's like the overflow of a relationship you have with an actual person. Okay. The invitation is disruptive, it's intrusive. It's never convenient. (laughs) But it stands. Who wants life in the kingdom? Who wants to feast at the master's table? Who wants God and his spirit to reorient and recalibrate the priorities of our heart and life where it's him and his presence and his glory first and then he can help us sort out the rest? And one of the things, just to get very practical and to just cast some vision, um, one of the things that we've been carrying all week and that I've been carrying for years, others have carried for decades in this room, is we actually want to create a culture where people can come and feast upon God and His Word in the place of prayer and worship. They can feast and then flow out into their everyday life. Filled with the vision of God's goodness and glory. Amen. So one of the things we're beginning to build, and you'll be hearing a whole lot more, we've got a lot of work to do, is we want to begin to create spaces and a place and time for the church and the city to come, to be in God's presence, to feast on His goodness, and then for an hour, for a half hour, for two hours, and then go out into your everyday stuff of life, filled to overflowing and empowered to live for him and his purposes. This, this last week we spent, I think we had uh, seven, seven or eight one-hour blocks where we just did, we just took a Bible passage, we prayed it, we read it, we sang a few songs, and we're trying to practice before going public so that when that thing gets rolled out, hey, what are you doing at 9 a.m.? Oh, I'm going to go to the prayer room. I'm going to go get filled at the feast of God. And then I'm going to go to work full. And I'm going to be able to actually compel someone towards something because I've tasted and seen myself. And, and, you know, I was writing in my journal at the beginning of this year, in a digital age, individualistic, me-focused, obsessed, self-express, you know, individualism, self-expression, casting off all and any restraints and shying away from authority, one of the most revolutionary things we could do is adopt a lifestyle out of a place with a specific people to be formed not into some image that I'm trying to invent, but the image of Jesus together. One of the most radical things we can offer this city in this world is to give ourselves to becoming a place of God's kingdom and God's presence. 
so that when people come in here, out there they're being formed into the image of fill in the blank, of this pop star and idol. But if you come in here, you will inevitably encounter the one we're pursuing with love and obedience and worship. You will be formed into who God really made you to be, which who God made you to be is always tied to your relationship with Jesus and His purposes. So one of the things we're going to begin to roll out is just these blocks of time. Because we want to create a culture of feasting in God's kingdom and His presence. Come on, who wants to help develop and cultivate that kind of culture? How many know I, 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 you got to learn how to eat? I have a little baby, a fourth one. And Ethan eats now. But how many know it was pretty messy when he first started to eat solid food? Especially when dad feeds him. We want to give ourselves to creating a culture. A, a culture as a core value. Where any could come and could learn how to behold, how to feast, how to encounter God's love by His Spirit, through His Word, together. And as we do that, He will begin to transform us into a people that when we invite others to feast, it won't even be really all tied to our words or our eloquence. It will be the impartation of our life of hunger for God that will begin to draw people to Himself. Come on, how many want to be a satisfied customer instead of a, a Yelp review expert? I've tasted and I've seen. He's so good. You've got to taste him. And I was doing some studying once in closing. And I thought, what, what's involved in tasting? Come on, culinary giants or documentary experts. What's involved in tasting? Sight, hearing, touching, tasting, smelling. How many know he's calling us to a full contact encounter? <laughs> to taste him, to see him, to hear him, to touch, to taste, to smell. Many of us have only heard, but we've not seen. Come on, somebody. Maybe you've seen and heard, but you've not touched. Some in here have, have never tasted mercy and forgiveness firsthand. I'm here to tell you, you can taste it today. You've never smelled the, 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 the aroma of a room of hungry people just pressing into God, the aroma of praise and prayer. And the Lord wants us to taste with all of our being how good He is. Our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our lives, totally given over to tasting His goodness. So that when we share his goodness with others, more happens than just in our words and our deeds. The Spirit of God begins to move and draw others too. Can you stand to your feet with me this morning? And There's a great banquet, and many are invited. How many of the Lord believe that the Lord has plans and purposes for this church, for this city, for this region? How many know He is going to move? He is moving. And He's inviting us right here, right now in this Kairos moment to participate in what He's doing by, become, by feasting on Him. But it's disruptive. Maybe some things need to be surrendered. Maybe some sin needs to be confessed. Maybe a relationship needs to be reconciled. Maybe some shame needs to be cast at the feet of Jesus. But how will you respond this morning to the invitation to come as you are and feast on me? Receive my love, my life, my provision. How many are tired of making excuses? <sighs> Anybody just tired of it? I'm so tired of making excuses. I got so many things to do. I, 
How many want the Lord to rearrange our priorities and give us a kingdom vision and perspective that he is first, he is good, his glory is who and what we're meant to pursue? So if you want to respond, just respond right now to the Lord. Maybe all you've got is a yes. That's really all he needs, honestly. (laughs) That yes can lead you Father, I just pray right now that you would release uh, permission to be totally unbalanced in our pursuit of you and your kingdom. So many of us, we just try to be so put together and so we do a little bit. Lord, I'm praying that you would draw out people like David who when they got a vision of your glory, they were willing to go after you with reckless abandon. They were just... Father, I pray that you would release permission in this house to feast on the fullness of God and his kingdom. Father, we pray and cry out to become a place and to become a people who are living billboards of God's goodness, who have tasted and seen and heard and touched and smelled firsthand how amazing Jesus is, how how life-giving his presence is, How full of wisdom and meaning and purpose is his word. Father, I'm asking that you would draw us into a season of feasting upon you. And that the result will be a city set on fire through God's desire to fill his house with men and women, boys and girls, every race, nation, language, tribe and tongue at his table and at his feast. Father, I pray that you would just fill right now your sons and daughters, that we would say yes to your kingdom, to your goodness. We would repent. We would stop the road we're on. We begin to walk with you step by step, day by day. In Jesus' name, we all said amen and amen.